Well, I invite you now to open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. And you may also find these verses on page 556 on your pew Bibles. And also I'd like to dismiss the children at this time. I was recently talking to one of the wise men in our church and he said a very simple and a sobering truth. He said that in 2023 we will most likely lose some people in this church. This year we will most likely lose some people at this church. And he wasn't talking about people moving to another state or even people about going to another church. But he meant that we'll lose some people to death. In 2022, we have lost some people to death. We have almost lost some people to death. And 2023 may be the year when we'll have to say some goodbyes to our loved ones. And for some of us, 2023 may be the four digits that will follow the dash after the date of our birth. And so this morning I just want to ask this question, do we really need to be talking about these things? Surely there is a better way to start a new year. So the question is, do we really need to be talking about these things? And it's with this question in mind that I'd like to invite you to, to stand with me as we look at these verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verses 2 through 4. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will weigh to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of faith the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your scripture. And we now ask that you would please give us the grace to hear your voice through this text. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So do we need to be talking about these things? A couple of months ago, uh, Dasha's friend came to visit us from another state, and so we all went to Moss Rock Festival in Hoover. And, you know, people sell different crafts, things they make with their hands. And anyway, there was this booth where the gentleman was making t-shirts with different prints and pictures of Birmingham. And then he was selling T-shirts that didn't have Prince of Birmingham, just regular, you know, different T-shirts. And anyway, there was this T-shirt that had a, a devil looking like man, a figure that looked like a devil, and next to it it said, go to church or the devil will get you. And I remember she was so, the friend, was so irritated and annoyed 
And so when they communicated to me that it was just so inappropriate to even, you know, even be talking about these things. It was so inappropriate to put that image on a t-shirt. She was bewildered. Why would anyone put this on a t-shirt? And this is when I had to go, well, sister, this is not just on a t-shirt. <laughs> There's a sign out there. And there was this, this spirit that we shouldn't be talking about these things. So do we really need to be talking about these things? Do we really need to be talking about death? And the writer of Ecclesiastes says, yes, we need to be talking about death because this is what wise people do. In fact, it says this is where wisdom comes from. And so the whole book of Ecclesiastes has been written to impart wisdom. And so the preacher, and this is what he's called here, the preacher, he is writing to impart wisdom to believers, to the people of God, and also to those who perhaps have not yet professed faith in Jesus Christ. He is writing to, to those who are not yet believers. He's seeking to proselytize. He wants to convert people from their foolish ways of living to living like the wise. And so he's bringing up these topics of conversation. These topics, answers to which may only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so one of the commentators that I found in the book of Ecclesiastes says that the preacher here is doing a, a wisdom kind of outreach, a wisdom kind of evangelism, because he's trying to engage the whole of humankind, the whole human race, in a conversation about the subject of death. And so he's doing a kind of analysis. And so if you have a, a pew Bible, or if you have an ESV Bible in your hand, that passage in chapter 7 is actually titled, A Contrast of Wisdom and Folly. And so the, the preacher here is doing a, a contrast, an analysis of the differences between what the wise do and what the fools do. And we, will, we all like analysis. We all you know, want to know why is it that this team won, even though they didn't have this great player, and why is it that this team lost, even though they had this great coach? Or why is it that this candidate won, and why is it that this candidate lost? Why is it that these businesses survived COVID, and why is it that these businesses didn't survive COVID? Is there a difference? Is there a difference between how the wise live and how the fools live? And the preacher says, yes, there is a difference. And the difference says it here. The heart of the wise is in a house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in a house of mirth. And so he's asking a rhetorical question. Have you been lately to the house of mourning? Have you been lately thinking about death? And so this morning, again, I want to ask this question. Do we really need to be talking about this thing? And the answer is yes. Why is it good for us to be talking about these things? Why is it good for us to go into the house of mourning? Why is it good for us to be thinking about death? And so I have two simple points. The first one is very simple. It is good for us to go to the house of mourning because when we do, our eyes are pointed to God. Our eyes are pointed to God. Now, the author of Ecclesiastes does mean to say that somehow we should now uh, prefer a state of sadness over a state of joy. It doesn't mean to say that now we should be walking around with just grim, silent faces, never with a smile, something that you would typically expect of a Russian. The Bible doesn't really disparage that which God made good. God does not put a ban on all pleasure. In fact, 
if you read your Bible, the very next book in order that comes after the book of Ecclesiastes is the Song of Solomon. And if you read that book, you'll quickly find out that God does not forbid pleasure. Jesus himself, Jesus himself performs his first miracle at the wedding. And so that's not what he's trying to say, but rather what he's communicating is that if we are accustomed to laughter and to partying and to feasting only, and if this, if this is all that we want to do, if this is all that we ever talk about, then he says we will become like fools because the heart of a fool only wants to be amused and entertained. Fools don't like to think deep. They, they don't like to think about heavy, weighty matters. And so it's foolish never to, never to go to the hospital to visit a, a sick friend. It's, it's foolish never to call a family member who is at home sick alone. It's foolish never to think about death. Perhaps this is why our Lord Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. But woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning. Because sickness and death has just a certain way of grabbing our attention, the way that pleasures don't. I remember not long ago, we, we were in a staff meeting with Michael and Hunter, and Hunter said something along the lines that these days we just want to eat cakes and cookies only. But we have to find time to eat our vegetables. We have to find time to eat our broccoli. And this is right, because we have become disengaged from the notion of death. You know, just have your best life now, and don't worry about the future. We've become disengaged from the notion of death. And I remember I was in a classroom with this very well-respected man who said that somehow he got around this very well-known journalist. And according to him, um, journalists pretty much across the world conclude that the worst image you can put on the cover of a magazine is an image of blood. Because blood communicates death. And so no one wants to see blood on the image of a magazine. That's why we see so many pretty faces and muscular bodies just when you go to public. And another thing that I charge you to do at the end of the service, uh, go on your phones and Google the most offensive or the most tabooed uh, topics of conversation around the table. And so you can Google something like the worst uh, subject of conversation around Christmas table in 2022. And I, I, I guarantee you, you'll see death on that list. I myself just opened about 30, 30 links and each of them had that subject. And so this is why our our ancient fathers had to remind themselves of their own mortality. We know that the Egyptians, when they, when they would have a feast, they would put a, a skeleton on an empty chair to remind them of their death. We know that there is a group of people who, during a funeral service, when they gather around the deceased, they apparently pass a tray with a very thin but, but, but a sweet candy. And so, as they look at the deceased, at a given signal, they put that same candy in their mouth so that they will reflect on the, on the sweet nature of this life. But that they would also reflect on the very short nature of this life because the candy is thin. And so when it dissolves, and it dissolves quickly, it is no more. And if you like art, you might have seen this picture of uh, Jerome, who is a lay church father, and also perhaps a picture painting of an apostle Paul, who, uh, if you look there, sitting in there at death, writing, expounding the scriptures, and right next to them there is a skull. Right? You, might, you might have seen a wise day skull. 
the scholars they have to remind them of their own mortality. Because man, unlike, unlike animals, man is the only creature who is able to actually comprehend and anticipate their own death. We're the only beings who are able to, to understand the words of Paul that I am dust and to dust I shall return. And so I can, I can guess, and I might be missing here, but I think it's been my experience, and therefore I'm guessing it could be your experience, that when you're sitting around a table with your elderly mother or grandpa, that this thought has to come to your mind. And this thought is that I'm having such a good time. I'm enjoying this moment. I want this moment to last longer because I realize that this time next year, they may not be with us. Because human being is the only creature who is actually able to understand the words of Paul that our body is like a tent. And one day we'll have to roll up that tent. And so the preacher here is trying to communicate this message. A wise man or woman will find it good for them to familiarize themselves with the notion of death. And a wise man or a woman will find it good for them to be thinking not about only the temporal, the fun things, but also about the heavy-weighted eternal matters. Last year when Nella was born, she had high jaundice levels, and so we were admitted to Nikki in Brookwood. And even though she didn't have life-threatening conditions, the other children who were there, they did have a life-threatening condition. And I remember we, we would walk into that unit, and I don't know why, but in, in a Nikki in Brookwood, they have these rooms with clear, you know, where you, gla- glassy walls where you can see through. And so I remember just seeing all these poor babies hooked up to these tubes and machines, and I remember alarm going off and a nurse running in, and these parents holding hands, sitting, weeping over that baby, I remember going to the parking lot and I just, you know, I, I thought it, it's heartbreaking. But I also clearly remember thinking, it is good for me to be here. It is good for my soul to be reminded of the fallen condition of this world. John Donne, who, was, uh, who lived in 17th uh, century England and written some good, good poetic works, he says that in the village where he lived, the church would ring the bells to gather people for worship. And so they would ring the bells to, um, to announce a prayer meeting. They would ring the bells to gather people for someone's baptism. They would ring the bells to, to announce the funeral. And then they would ring the bells to, to communicate to the community that there was a sick and dying person in their church. So that people would come in and they would surround that person. But he says they would come in not to show their empathy or sympathy, but they would come in, he says, to learn and to ripen and to mature. And then he says this, he says, another person's affliction and tribulation may be our greatest treasure. Of course, not because we're happy that they're ill, but it can be our treasure because it allows us to reevaluate, to rethink our life and to recommit our life to God. And so, two basic simple applications. And one is that it is good for us to find someone in their suffering and to spend time with them. And to just ask them questions and to learn from them. And the second application, which is actually how a lot of commentators translate these verses, and perhaps this application will not come our way often, 
Um, but simply, if you have a choice between going to another party to the house of feasting or going to a funeral to the, to the house of mourning, it says it's a no-brainer. You go to the funeral. If you have a choice between uh, watching a game on Saturday afternoon or going to a funeral, even though some of the games may look like a funeral, depending on who your team is, you go to a funeral. But seriously, though, if we have a, an opportunity to go to the hospital to visit someone, we need to go with that choice. Now, there is a big however to all this uh, discussion. And the big however is that we need to remember that death in itself is not good. In the Bible, we find that death is an enemy. Death has come and disrupted the good order that God created. In Genesis 2, we read that the Lord told Adam, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. In Romans 5, Paul says, Sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And death spread to all men because all have sinned. All have sinned and the wages of sin is death. You see, what the author of Ecclesiastes is trying to do here is he's trying to create conditions. He's trying to, to get us into that mindset that would cause us to reflect on our fallen state. He, he ultimately just wants us to be asking this question. Why is there death to begin with? Why, is the, why am I going to die? Because sin. We are going to die because of sin. Now, he doesn't want us to be thinking about death just because somehow it will make us into a better person. Somehow it will make you just make better life choices. Uh, you might know this about Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, who was a very successful man. Um, according to his own account, he would reflect on death every day of his life. And uh, in, in his famous uh, commencement speech to Stanford University, that perhaps some of you have seen it, just gone viral, you know, it's one of those commencement speeches that got, you know, hundreds of millions of views. Anyway, in that speech he said, I've looked in the mirror every morning and I asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I'm about to do today? And so, according to his own accounts, we wake up every morning thinking about this. And sure enough, he was a successful man, but if you watch the movie about him, if you've seen a documentary, read about him, you'll quickly discover that he lived a very, very depressed and sad and lonely life. And he died in a very sad, lonely and hopeless circumstances because he was outside of Christ. Again, the preacher here doesn't want us to be thinking about death just because somehow it will make me into a better person. But he's trying to create conditions where we would be awakened to the spiritual reality of our life. He wants us to see that because of our sin, we are dead. We're spiritually dead. He wants, he wants us to know that we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And when we stand before the judgment throne, we will be found guilty. And so, in the very last sentence of the book of Ecclesiastes, it says that God will bring every deed into judgment. Every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And whenever it is revealed, when we stand naked before God, apart from Christ, we will be found guilty. Again, the Bible is clear that we are spiritual 
being. So the moment of physical death begins our spiritual death if we are apart from Christ. That's why, contrary to the view of many of these days, physical death doesn't really end anything. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but pass from death to life. From which we may conclude that if one does not believe in Christ, he has not passed from death to life. And he remains in a state of judgment. And it's at that point when one realizes that they are going to die. This is when they are ready really to receive the good news. Which you've heard so many times. That God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So in order for us to live we must put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus defeated death for us. He has overcome death for us and so that for us now to overcome death we need to identify with the one who has overcome death. And how do we identify with Christ? We identify with Christ by faith and also by dying to self. We can't live unless we're willing to die. Die to our formal way of life. Die to my drunkenness. Die to my pride. To my anger to my adulterous thoughts, to my selfishness. We can't live unless we're willing to die. And when we die to self, then we may have eternal life. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. This is what Jesus said about himself. And so for us now to identify with Christ, we have to follow the same order. The sequence of my life should follow the sequence of Christ's life. And so like the grain of wheat, we must die so that we may live. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. See, we we have to find time to eat our vegetables. We have to go to the house of mourning because when we do, our eyes are pointed to God. Point number two, and it's going to be a shorter one. It's good for men to go to the house of mourning because it makes us into wise stewards of our time. It is good for us because when we go to the house of mourning, we will become wise stewards of our time. Again, the preacher's goal here is to impart wisdom. He desires that people would conduct their lives not as unwise, but as wise. And so in several places, in the book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher says that man doesn't know when his end is. Man just simply doesn't know when his appointment ends. And so the tone of the preacher here is very similar to the tone of many other faithful men in the Bible. For example, in Psalm 90, Moses says, Lord, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In Psalm 34, David says, O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting I am. I see, the tone that faithful men in the Bible share is the tone of urgency. Why is the tone of urgency? The author of Hebrews tells us why. It is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. 
we're here by divine appointment that has a beginning and the end. And John Murray, when speaking on this subject, says this very simple truth. He says, when we die, we're not brought back again to this earth to remedy the opportunities that we have neglected or the privileges that we have squandered away in this life. When we die, we're not able to come back again to redeem the time that we have wasted. Because it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Job in chapter 14 says, there is hope for a tree. And if the tree is cut down, it will sprout again. But a man dies and is laid in the grave. Man breathes his last, and where is he? He says, you cut down the tree, fine, it will grow again. What about man? See, we're here by divine appointment. And when the days of our lives are complete, to use last night's metaphor, when the ball drops, there are no more redos and there are no more restarts. And this is sort of off the subject, but I thought this is just a, kind of like a smart thought that I read about the, 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 this one man said. He said, we think our best thoughts in life, the most life-changing thoughts that we ever have, they come to us when we sit or stand with the fingers in our lips. It says, when we think in our deepest thoughts, life-changing thoughts, our mouth is closed, we are focused, but our fingers on our lips. And so the preacher here is trying to get us to that point where we just close our eyes and we put our fingers on our lips and we think about this heaven matters. Remember, the fools don't like to think about this way matters. And so when we think hard, when the fingers are on our lips, then we'll begin to live our lives with a sense of urgency. And then the life of a Christian will be marked by urgency and intentionality. In a nutshell, preachers saying, don't delay wise living. Don't delay your commitment to God because we just don't know when the appointment ends. See, the biggest lie which we're convinced today is that there is more time. Don't worry about the future. There is more time. You're still so young. Just, just explore yourself. Explore the world. There is more time. Don't worry about this, this heavy spiritual matters. There is more time. When we look at the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll quickly find out there is no more time. At best, there is very, very little time. And this is why he communicates this message. Don't delay. Don't delay obedience. And Spurgeon, when speaking on this matter, preaching on this matter, uh, in a sermon that he preached shortly before he died, and later the sermon was just printed internationally to commemorate his death, he's describing this uh, very well-known faithful man. And he says, Mr. Whitfield said that he wouldn't go to bed unless he had put even his gloves in the right place. If he should die at night, he wouldn't like to have anybody ask him, where did he put his gloves? This is the way for a Christian man always to live. Have everything in order, even to a pair of gloves. Finish up your work every night. No, he says, finish up every minute. I've seen Mr. Wesley's journal, though it's not exactly a journal. It doesn't give an account of what he did in a day, not even what he did in an hour. He divided his time into portions of 20 minutes each. 
And I've seen the book in which there is a record of something done for the Lord and Master every 20 minutes of the day. So executively lived that no single half minute ever seemed to be wasted. I wish it says that we all lived in that way so that we looked not at projects in some distant future that would never be realized, but as something to be done now. Don't let another sun rise if you can help it before you've begun the joyful and blessed service. He concludes, Time is short. Opportunities are passing. Be up and going. Soon we shall be gone. Don't delay wise living. Don't delay obedience. If you've never read through the Westminster Confession of Faith and short and larger catechism, this is your once in a lifetime opportunity. You can get one of those books on the way out and you may join us this year. If you've never sung or prayed out loud in a worship service, this is your time. If you've never committed to a Sunday school class, this is your time. If you've never tithed, this is your time. If you've never told anyone at work that you're a Christian, or if you've never prayed before a meal with your co-workers, this is the time. If you've never joined the church, and ultimately, this is the ultimate point. If you've never fully, entirely committed your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, if you've never surrendered your will to His will, this could be the day of your salvation. And I mean, there couldn't be possibly a better day than January 1, 2023 to begin to live wisely. I, I only had one uh, grandparent and it was my grandmother. And so when I came to the States, I didn't talk to her much. And so when I would go home to, to Russia, would bring many gifts. And so if you're from my part of the world, when you go home, you bring home a lot of clothes. And you just buy a ton of clothes. And so you can imagine, so it was about 2010, 2011, 2012, you could imagine 18-year-old Russian boy somewhere in T.J. Max in Birmingham, Alabama, picking a, an extra-large flowery dress for his grandmother. <laughs> That's why no other church would hire me. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I'd go home, I'd, I'd, give this, I'd give them the gifts, and I'd come here, and I would call my mom, and I would be asking mom, Mama's grandma wearing the dresses. Mom would say, yeah, yeah, she, she, she loves dresses. She wears them all the time. She wears them all but one. She, she, she loves them all. She, she's wearing them all but one. She's saving that one for a special occasion. She's saving it for a very special occasion. And sure, sure enough, special occasion it was. She was buried in that dress. That special occasion never came. Time is short. Opportunities are passing. Soon Spurgeon says, we shall be gone. You know what Paul says? Now is the favorable time. Now, he says, is the day of salvation. 
the Lord Jesus Christ saves us from the sting of death and He offers eternal life to all who repent of their sins and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. So do we really need to be talking about these things? The preacher says, yes. The wise choose to go to the house of mourning because there Jesus Christ is all the more visible. This is when we ripen and mature and this is where we become faithful and wise towards of our time. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we bless you for the gift of eternal life that you offer to sinners like us. We bless you for your long-suffering spirit. We bless you for you indeed a patient God who does not delight in the death of the wicked, but who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Lord, you are God who doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all you say should reach repentance. So, Father, we pray that you would give us the grace to see your truth, that you would give us the grace to receive the gift of your Son, and that you would give us the grace to be daily dying to self and living unto Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand and sing this beautiful hymn of response in Christ alone.
And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.